What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Thank you, Pastor. And it's a joy to be here tonight. If you're happy in Jesus, would you say amen? amen. I like to be around joyful Christians. And uh, we ought to be a billboard for the Lord Jesus and not a billboard for the devil. And uh, so many people are walking around in the pits of despair. Their eyes are on the things that are taking place uh, in this world. And and if you want to go blind, then take your eyes off of Jesus. But if you want to have real spiritual life in a world that continues to change, well, keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've got some friends here with me, James and Linda Thomas, and uh, they're from West Virginia. And uh, they've come to try to help this state out over here in Virginia. And, uh, uh, but anyhow, they're, uh, they're here, and they live about 45 minutes away, and they're like uh, grandparents to my two children. And uh, I appreciate them and love them. And some of these people, they say, well, we love you in the Lord. And uh, they don't say that. They just say, we love you. And I like that. And I don't know what that means, I love you in the Lord. And, uh, but anyhow, uh, they, uh, they're like uh, grandparents to my children. Last time I was here, uh, we did not have children. And uh, my wife and I were led of the Lord to adopt two little children. And we went from zero to two in less than a month. And uh, pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, my wife and I were, are not able to have children and I had a friend I was trying to lead to the Lord in England. His name was Ace Kelly. He is not saved, and, uh, but he was a, he's a good, good friend. He was my barber while I was over there. Now I'm my own barber, so if you look at my hair, you'll notice. Uh, but uh, anyhow, uh, Ace, he, um, he said, Now, if you and your wife are not able to have children, would you adopt? And he asked me that, and I really thought, No, that's not me. I don't know if I could take someone else's uh, children into my life. And the Lord really began to work on my heart about that. And that was in 2016, and, and God brought my wife and I back to America and uh, through different paths. We ended up at the Cranberry Baptist Church in Beckley, West Virginia. And while we were there, uh, the pastor of the church asked my wife if she'd be willing to come and start a daycare as a ministry of that church. They were trying to reach more families, and uh, we said, we'll come and uh, help you get it started. It's not our life's calling, but uh, we'll help you get it started. And uh, so my wife began to work at it with the pastor's wife, and some of the first children that came to that daycare of the ministry of the Cranberry Baptist Church, these two little, two little girls, they were uh, adopted children. And one of those little girls just... Man, it worked on my heart. And seeing how the Lord uh, was working in that little girl's life, I, I, I failed to remember her name. And, but uh, anyhow, the Lord allowed my wife and I to foster two little children and then to adopt them uh, earlier this year. So they're ours. And uh, Ruby and William. Ruby is three years old. William turned two this past Sunday. They were supposed to be with me this evening, and, uh, but... Uh, Ruby is not feeling the greatest right now, and so we didn't know whether we should make the trip or not. 
uh, with uh, with her this evening, but uh, they're back back at home. They may be watching live stream. I don't know. We live in Meadowbridge. It's one of those little hole in the wall places. And uh, but anyhow, we're thankful for God's uh, work there that's going on. And I ask that you would pray for us there, and as uh, we continue to try to do God's work God's way. And I would encourage you to pray for your pastor, love on him, and encourage him. He is not perfect. Uh, there's no perfect church, there's no perfect pastor. And he didn't pay me to say any of these things tonight. Uh, but I, wanna, I want you to encourage the man of God that God has given you uh, over this local assembly. Uh, we as a, as a church across America, you are at Psalm 91 already, right? And so, but uh, we've not really capitalized on the potential of what's going on in America and uh, as a whole, you know, fear is a controlling factor. The first emotion of man after the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, the first emotion of man was fear. And fear is a very controlling thing. But there's a lot of fear uh, in our country right now. And people are searching for peace. Go to any restaurant. Uh, your pastor and I, we ate a meal earlier today and and I, I asked the lady if she was from around here, and she said yes. And I said, well, I'm not from around here. I'm from West Virginia. And uh, some people find that a bit humorous from time to time. And uh, some of you have got some roots in West Virginia. Yeah, yeah, okay, some other hands popping up. And so, uh, but anyhow, she left the table and she came back. I said, uh, you may, this may be your dwelling place right now, but what about your eternal destination? And she said, white sand, waves coming in, and blue water, and uh, something along those lines. But you know what she was thinking about for her afterlife? She's thinking about something of peace. And uh, people will never know peace until they know the God of peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're saved and, and you know it, then you have an opportunity to minister the grace of God to people and see the God of peace work in people's lives. And uh, we have a wonderful opportunity to do that. And I'm thrilled for the opportunity to come and preach. It's been a few years. I'm not going to take up any more runway. But if you'll have your Bible there to Psalm 91, we're going to read uh, the first two verses as they've already been read here this evening. Uh, Psalm 91 and, and verse number 1, the Bible says, He that dwelleth in the secret place, of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, what will you say? He is my refuge. He's, he's my place of peace. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. He is a person of protection. My God in Him will I trust. As you read the Psalms, you really get to know God. Uh, you really get to see the emotions of man. And by the way, your emotions are the weakest part of the makeup of you as a human being. There's a lot of denominations out there, they really know how to tickle your emotions. I really get you stirred up, really get you flavored for the things that are going on within those buildings by uh, the different beats and sounds and all that type of thing. But we have to be careful with our emotions because if we allow our emotions to run our life, we'll let our emotions ruin our life. And so may the Lord help us. 
as we look into the Word of God to see how great, good, and gracious God is. And the book of Psalms tremendously helps us with that. And I've learned a few things in life. I've not learned much, and, uh, but I've learned a few things. The more you get to know someone, a couple things happen. Either one, you'll begin to like them more. I don't know the first time I met James and Linda Thomas, but uh, it was probably at Cranberry. But the more time that I spent with James and Linda, the more I got to like them. Genuine people, love the Lord, uh, have served God. And uh, I, I don't know that I like that they moved to Virginia, but I still like them. <laughs> Uh, how many of you have ever got a new job and you got on the new job and, and you met uh, some new people that you're going to work with and, and you come home from work and you said, and you said to your spouse, well, I really like this guy at work. Uh, his name's Jim. He likes to hunt. He likes to fish. And he really likes Toyota vehicles. And, and you start sharing things that you have in common, some common interest, and you begin to like that person more. But you may come home and say, you know what? Forgive me if somebody's name's Bob. But uh, you come home and you say to your wife, Well, I really like Jim, but Bob, uh, he's a little bit difficult. This right here never stops. He always has an opinion. If I share a fishing story, he always has a one-upper on me. He always has a more violent time and, and reeling in that big shiny bass and all that type of thing. And, and uh, he's really loose with his lips and he, he's very extravagant in his stories and he really stretches the truth. And, and I don't really know how honest he is. And, and uh, he clocks in and clocks out and claims a little extra time there that he has really not worked for. And, and the more I get to know him, I really, I, I really don't like him. The more you get to know someone... You find out whether or not you can trust them or not trust them. I have a good friend in the ministry that uh, I have uh, a lot of confidence in, a lot of trust in. And uh, he loves the Lord. He preaches the Word of God. He runs back and forth across this nation and to other countries. And, uh, but we have a, a, a great friendship. And it's built around the truth of God's Word. And I know that I can trust Him. And uh, I like to get my family around people that I trust and that they know the truth of God's Word. But as you get to know some people, you find out you can't really trust them. Uh, and almost every church, you have these two people, Brother Know-It-All and Sister Wigglejaw. Uh, Brother Know-It-All, you try to go and, and share something with him and, and he just seems to know it all. And Sister Wigglejaw, and you go and share a prayer request with her, and before you ever get out of the church building, it's done plastered all over social media. Yeah. They done shared it with everybody imaginable, and you shared that in confidence. But uh, uh, you realize some people you can trust, and some people you cannot trust. But the more you get to know God, I believe the more that you not only like Him, but you love Him. The more that you get to know God, the more that you realize that you can trust Him. And the people that are not uh, daily in the Word of God and in the secret place of prayer, hiding themselves in God, never really seem to grow in God. One thing I've realized over the past year and a half, what we've faced in America, is this has really divided those that had a heart for God and those that just had a habit for the things of God. And it's been pretty interesting. And uh, I know there's some people that... Uh, 
have underlying conditions and different difficulties and all that sort of stuff. But I don't think things are going to get any better. And if things don't get any better, we know that God is still in control. He's still on the throne. He will never be impeached. He will never be dethroned. No one's going to overrule or overthrow God. And so as you read the Word of God, you realize that you can love Him, you can like Him, you can trust Him, you can have complete confidence in the Creator God of this universe. Psalm 91 is a psalm that God has used in my life greatly. Now we're going to be back and forth just a little bit between Psalm 90 and Psalm 91. Now you could argue this evening over who the human penman is of Psalm 91. I tend to hold to that it's a continuation of Psalm 90. If you have uh, maybe in Psalm 90 under the chapter heading, you may have this little uh, inscription in your Bible, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And then you come into Psalm 91. So I hold to that, that opinion. But you know what my opinion means this evening? Zero. Because the fact of the matter is, the real author behind Psalm 90 and Psalm 91 is He, the Holy Spirit of God. And when we get to heaven, we'll find out exactly who the human penman is of Psalm 91. But Psalm 91, verse number 1, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Republican Party shall abide under the shadow of the Democratic Party. Is that what the Bible says? I will say of the government... They are my refuge and my fortress. In my welfare will I trust. May God help us to realize that it is God who truly loves us. That it's God who truly cares about us. Tonight it's not about political parties, it's not about our opinions, it's not about our philosophy, it's not about our human traditions, but it is all about the Creator God of this universe and that He cares about His creation and that He wants to change His creation into the image of His dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, simply here this evening, we're going to look at these four titles for God that is given in verses 1 and 2. And you find in verse number 1 that He is referred to as the Most High, it didn't just stop there, but it also says in verse number 1 that He is the Almighty. In verse number 2 it says that He is the Lord. And then also in verse number 2 it says, My God. And we're going to look at these four titles for the Lord in Psalm 91. The first one being the Most High. If you're taking notes this evening, you might want to write down just this word, Possessor. Or that He that possesses. When we come across this phrase in Psalm 91 uh, addressing the God of heaven as the Most High. It's an emphasis that uh, throughout the book of Psalms and throughout the Old Testament that He possesses heaven and earth. He possesses it all. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 50 and verse number 12, God says, If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. The Bible says in Psalm 24 in verse number 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell in therein. 
Sometimes the government acts like they own this land. They own what everything that's going on. And sometimes as you're paying taxes and paying for things, you realize like personal property tax that you have to pay year after year and your, and your home and your property and all this sort of stuff. Uh, you, 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 you get this idea uh, that the government owns it. But we have to remind ourselves that God possesses all of this. That He rules and overrules. When we read the Old Testament, you see Nebuchadnezzar, you see these different people in the Old Testament, and they act like they own everything, and they rule everything. But when you look in the book of Daniel, you see God overruling in the life of Daniel. I'm encouraged when I read the book of Daniel, the lion hearted in the lion's den, and God shut the mouths of those lions, and he come out untouched, unscathed, unhurt, not a scratch on his body, not a bruise on his body. He didn't end up with a bunch of gray hair. He didn't lose his hair in the lion's den. God brought him right through it. And then the, the, the three Hebrew children thrown into the fiery furnace, they come out not even smelling like smoke. Not a hair singed. And, and, and they, they, they went in bound up, didn't they? I, I, you know, bound up. I imagine they put their, their uh, hands behind their back and, and tied them up and, and maybe even bound up their, their, their legs and their feet and they were tossed into the fiery furnace. But while they were in there, they were loosed. Who was in the fire with them? The fourth man. And, and, and he looks like the son of man. And I kind of wonder, I will find out when we get to heaven, sure. did, the, did the fire burn off what they were tied up with? Or did Jesus just go by and loose it and take it off? And I, we'll fi- we're going to find out a lot when we get yeah, to heaven. Right. I'm looking forward to it. A street of gold, gates of pearl, walls of jasper. Pretty exciting. Don't get excited tonight. But Jesus, that throne, holy is the Lamb. And I'm looking forward to that peaceful place, heaven. But I'm not there yet. I'm here on a sin-cursed earth. I'm here with fallen flesh. My greatest battle is not a Democratic Party or Republican Party. My mother-in-law, my in-laws, my outlaws, my neighbors, Brother Know-it-all or Sister Wigglejaw, that's not my greatest uh, enemy, this old flesh right here. The, the person I look at in the mirror day after day after day. But as I read the Word of God and realize that God can overrule and rule in a kingdom of darkness, if He can do that, He can rule, He can reign in my life. If God can possess heaven and earth, He can possess me as a vessel. And if I allow Him, He'll be the Most High in my life. I heard an old preacher one time say, uh, your heart, the throne on your heart is not a two-seater. It's a one-seater. Either you're sitting on that throne or God's sitting on that throne. And may we dethrone self and enthrone the great God of heaven who is the Most High in whom we can abide and who we can live with on a daily basis and allow Him be the Most High in our life. I like Psalm 91 and verse number 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. When I read Psalm 91, I realize this is a place where we meet God and not man. This is a place where we're not just simply to visit, but we're to live, we're to abide, we're to remain, we're to stay there. There's some places I like visiting. There's some places I like to go for a little while and then get out of there. 
Uh, there's some places that I really don't want to visit. But this place found in Psalm 91, I, I, I need to crucify my flesh to be able to abide and live and stay there with the great God of heaven, the Most High. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, it doesn't stop there, but it says, shall abide under the shadow of who? The Almighty. So, at verse 1, we see that with his first title, that he is the possessor of heaven and earth. Number two, we see that He is the Almighty. When we think about the Almighty, I like to think of it this way, a God who provides. Uh, the Almighty is a term that's given all the way back in Genesis, chapter number 17, when God told Abraham, one of those mountain-type figures in the Old Testament, uh, one of those men that stand out, he's recorded in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, God said to Abraham, Walk thou before me, and he says to Abraham, I am the Almighty. If you'll take your Bible and turn over to Revelation chapter 1 for just a moment. Revelation chapter number 1, I believe, if I have it right, you've been preaching through Revelation. Is that correct? And so Revelation chapter 1, verse number 8, there's more titles given to the Lord Jesus in the book of Revelation uh, than any other book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 8, the Bible says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. What's the last two words, church? I, I couldn't hear you. What was that? The Almighty. The Almighty. He, he, he is the great provider. And we see these titles given here in verse number 8, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. And by the way, He's everything in between. He's everything that we need for the Christian life if we depend upon Him. He is the great provider. If you go back to Psalms and come to Psalm 145, as you read through Psalms, as you read through over a hundred Psalms in the Bible, you'll see God making provision for His servants. You see His provision for David. You see His provision for Moses here. You see His provision for whoever wrote Psalm 119. And He made great, he made great provision for that psalmist of Psalm 119 through the Word of God. Psalm 145, I'd love to just walk through Psalm 145 in its entirety. But let's pick up our reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee. Will you now? Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness." They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. Notice verse number 8. The Lord is gracious and empty of compassion and quick to anger and bottomed out of great mercy. What's the Bible say? The Lord is gracious. He's full of compassion. He never runs out. Unending mercy, never-ending mercy. 
slow to anger. How many of you know someone that's quick to anger? Would you raise your hand? How many of you know someone that's quick to anger? I wonder if somebody would think about you. Anger. You know that's one letter short of danger. But the Lord is slow to anger. We're quick to anger. Somebody says, I have a short fuse. Well, get a longer one. <laughs> I, you know, I, I pastor in Appalachia, America. And we have an older population. Uh, some dear saints of God. Been through a lot. Some of them crawled through small crevices a mile under the earth, mining out coal, and uh, people that have struggled through economic highs and lows and all that type of thing. But I've found that some of them, not some of them, many of them are pretty quick to be angry. My grandfather loved me. Wentford Wilson Witten, May 29th, 1934, and took his last breath in August 2007. But he was really serious about putting up his hay. I mean deathly serious. And uh, it seemed like I couldn't stack it fast enough and the proper way. That one's supposed to be up on its edge. And, uh, you know, I mean, he, I mean, it seemed like he was mad before he ever hit the hay field. And uh, he, was, um, he was so intense about it. But he wasn't necessarily angry. He was just, he was really intense about it. We got a few farmers I know that are very particular about their garden. One of them's a preacher. And you're not allowed to mess with his green bean row. <laughs> He's so serious about it, I'd kid with him sometimes. I'd call him up, hey, Preacher Bill, uh, you need some help with those green beans? No, I don't need any help with them green beans. I'm serious about it. But people sometimes are sensitive about... Uh, different things that we don't really think about. And we don't take it into consideration because it's not something sensitive to us, but it's sensitive to them. And uh, we trigger that anger button. But when you look at Scripture, God is slow to anger. I, you think about how slow to anger He is with you and I. I've met some Christians that act like if, if California dropped off in the Pacific Ocean, they would clap their hands and rejoice. But uh, is God not a God of mercy? Amen. Is He not slow to anger, a full of compassion? And I, I believe when we get the Father's heart, we get the Father's compassion. We get a longer fuse. Because if I was God, I would have done away with Chase Whitten a long time ago. In fact, I, I get pretty upset and angry with myself. Why did I say that? I was too quick to respond. I should have prayed about that. I should have waited a little bit longer. And if I will just realize that He is the Most High, the Possessor of all things, and that He is the Almighty, and that He will provide in His way and in His time, it will help remind me that God is slow to anger, full of compassion, with unending mercy. 
And it helps change my perspective. Because we live in uncertain times. But the grand opportunity in life is that we have certain truths to live in uncertain times. And that God will help us. There's more we could read in Psalm 145, but it just flows from the heart of David, the psalmist in Psalm 145, about how good and gracious and great God is. And it's revealing to us throughout the book of Psalms that God is a God of provision. And when we see the Almighty, we see God working in Abraham's life back in the book of Genesis. And what does God do in the life of, of Abraham? He says, take thy son, thy only son, Isaac, up onto a mountain, not just any mountain, but Mount Moriah, and offer him a burnt offering, a bloody butcher, uh, to butcher his son on Mount Moriah, offer him as a sacrifice. But what does God do on Mount Moriah? He provides... He is the Almighty. Walk before me, Abraham. I am the Almighty God. I'm going to provide for you. In fact, you're going to learn something else about my nature, about my character, about another attribute about myself, that I am Jehovah Jireh, the God that will provide. And we learn about this in Psalm 91. He says in in verse number 2, let's not escape this for just a moment before I move on. Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. A shadow. You know, up here and where you're seated at there, if the, if the pew's not blocking it, you got a shadow. Now, a shadow throughout the day can further go further out from you and get, get a lot closer. And uh, you, you've seen your shadow and you know all about shadows and you have the big oak tree or the big maple tree or the big pine tree in the yard and, and sometime in the day it provides shade for the house and, and uh, maybe you, you, uh, it shades the garden or something like that. But the, the, the shadow moves around but the shadow gets larger and it gets smaller throughout the day. But he says here, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It gets further out and it gets closer. And a shadow is, is something that we really don't pay a whole lot of attention to. But he moves down to something that's much more personal here in just a moment. In fact, he says in verse number 3, Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise and pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers. Now, where I, I live in southern West Virginia, we, we have some bald eagles. And they're amazing, beautiful. You see one of them take off out of the top of the tree along the new river where the Bluestone Dam is, where I was driving across the new river on the bridge there one day, and I was headed to Bell Point Baptist Church to preach on a Sunday morning, and my wife said, Look there, there's a bald eagle. That's just a massive old bird. But you, you, you imagine under, under the feathers, much closer. Come here for a minute, Brian. Y'all don't laugh at us too much here this evening, but... You can get down on one knee. And just imagine this. Just the feathers. That's it's kind of funny, right? And I don't know how it looks on the live stream, but we ain't worried about that. And, but you, you imagine that. Under his feathers, under his wings. Very close, personal, sheltering, protection. You want to just stay there for a little while? No, I'm good. But it, it, it's, it's, it's like a closeness in relationship that the eagle and the, the babies are referred to as eaglets I always find that a bit humorous but you, you imagine that mother eagle 
and our little eaglets, providing that shelter in the storm, in the trouble, in the turmoil. And it's a picture of our God. Because he says in verse number 2, a place of refuge and a place of, of a fortress. And in, in the place of refuge, you find a place of peace. In the place of uh, the fortress, you find a place of protection. And uh, if you leave that refuge, if you leave that fortress, if you leave that sheltering hand of God, you don't lose your relationship, but you lose out on fellowship. If you, if you don't get anything else down tonight, that you remember this, God is responsible for the relationship. He does the saving. He does the keeping. It's called eternal salvation in the book of Hebrews. And so, but uh, uh, you lose out on the fellowship if you leave the place of peace and the place of protection. You leave that place of refuge. You leave that fortress. If you leave that, you, you lose out on fellowship. We are responsible for the fellowship. James and Linda Thomas, they were living in Beckley, West Virginia. They were a little bit closer to us. And we had a little bit more fellowship. And uh, they, they, they got backslidden and moved over here to Virginia. And so now we're losing out on fellowship. We're losing out with Grandma and Grandpa. And, uh, but they, they got a little further apart. I'm picking on them tonight. It's all right. And, um, but anyhow, the, the fellowship isn't quite what it was. And uh, there's some further distance in between us. We still have cell phones and FaceTime and all that. But it's nothing like being able to sit down at a dinner table, shake your hand, give you a big warm hug and a slobbery kiss and all that type of thing. And, but if you, if you leave somewhere, I mean, you think about your home. It's a place of refuge, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of people last year that barely left home. Why is that? Because home was a place of refuge. Home was like a fortress. There's some unknowns out there. What's going to happen? Where's all this leading to? Well, I'll just camp out right here at home. And you found peace and protection in that. God is saying in Psalm 91, and He says, I will say of the Lord, the psalmist, the human penman, whoever it may be, He says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. And so we move on to the third title. The Bible says here, the Lord, in verse number 2. Uh, the Lord, Jehovah, is a, is, a, is a covenant name for God, covenant-keeping God, never-changing God. As you see the Lord in all caps in the Bible, you see that He is Jehovah, meaning that that, that is His covenant name, His promise name, name of promise. Has anybody made a promise to you before and they've not kept it? Man, we fail in that area. We've, we've made some promises before and we've not came through on it. But anytime God makes a promise, you can go to the bank on it. You can go to sleep on that. You can face tomorrow because of the promises of God. Adoniram Judson. You ever heard of that missionary's name before? He was in Burma. And uh, there to preach the gospel, to lead people to the Lord, to make converts, disciple them, teach them the Word of God. And he's there and he starts to face persecution. In fact, people get a hold of him one day and they hang him upside down by his toes in Burma. He's not back in West Virginia. He's not back in America, Virginia, wherever he's from. I'm not sure where he's from at in America. But there's some comfort and convenience in America. And this is many years ago. He's left his hometown, traveled over 4,000 miles away to Burma. And here he is doing the will of God, serving God, preaching the Word of God. And 
And some people have the idea that the Christian's life is, is all honey and no bees. But Adoniram Judson was hanging upside down by his feet in Burma. And he said this while he was hanging upside down. The future is as bright as the promises of God. Hanging upside down by his toes. Here we are in America. Nice building, padded pews, lights, air conditioning, sound system, a car that is going to get us home as long as we don't drive a Chevrolet. <laughs> I am going to try not to split your church. <laughs> Real man of faith drives a Ford, you know. <laughs> but we, we live in lots of comforts and conveniences. And sometimes I think we fail to remember the promises of God because we are so just comfortable here in America. But these are some anchor verses. Some verses that we run to. The psalmist is reminding us of the great God of heaven. And he says, I will say of the Lord. When I read that, I think about no devil, no demon, no adversary is ever going to disrupt God, His plan, His power, His purposes for the eternal ages. I, I believe in a real devil. Martin Luther believed in, believed in a real devil and historians tell us that he was in a study one day and the devil threw his inkwell because they, they, they didn't write with the old ballpoint pen like we have and he was dipping that old quill ink pen in the inkwell. He was in his study one day and uh, he, he said that the devil picked up his inkwell and threw it at him. I don't know if that's what happened or not. I'm just telling you what some historians have said about the life of Martin Luther. But we live in the midst of a real devil and a real demon in opposition to Christianity. It's interesting about Psalm 91. You know the devil knew Psalm 91? Yeah. In fact, he quoted it in Matthew chapter 4. But in his little devious way of distorting the Word of God, changing just a little bit, just twisting the Word of God a little bit, when he had come to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, you can, temptation can come to you at any place. Yeah. It can come to any person. If it came to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it can come to us at church. It can come to us during a business meeting. It can come to us uh, while, while we're talking about a new missionary or a new building project or vacation Bible school or truth or treat or trunk or treat or whatever's going on out there in the parking lot. Hopefully there's some Reese's out there. I like peanut butter, don't you? And, uh, but anyhow, temptation can come to any person at any place. It come to the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter number 4. If it can come to the Lord Jesus, it can come to you and I. But the devil likes to twist the Word of God. And he, and he quotes from Psalm 91 here in verses 11 and 12, but he twists it just a little bit. The devil knows the Word of God and he wants to try to tell you lies saying that you cannot trust the Word of God, you cannot believe the God of this Word, and, but you've got to come to the Word of God as an anchor and say, like the psalmist said, He that dwelleth doesn't visit, doesn't just camp out for a little while, but abides there. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, the covenant-keeping God of the universe, that He is going to be my refuge and that He is going to be my fortress, my place of peace, and my place of protection. Amen. And he says here in verse number 2, if you're taking notes here, he says, My God. Now, before we get to this 
last title. We've got to go back to Psalm 90 for just a moment. Psalm 90 in verse number 1, as we come to Psalm 90, and if you really walk through all 17 verses of Psalm 90, uh, you would see these three thoughts through Psalm 90. You would see the frailty of man. I mean, we're pretty frail. God knows our frame. God knows that we're dust. Would you look at your neighbor beside you there for just a moment? As one old preacher said, you're looking at a certified ball of dirt. <laughs> I mean, straight from the... Organic! How about that? Some are a little more organic than others. <laughs> I got a little bit of metal in my... Anybody else got metal in here tonight? A couple of you? Well, you can't, you can't break it. You just bend it, right? But the frailty of man. I mean, it's, it's evident by what's just across the parking lot over here. We're frail creatures. In Psalm 90, you read about the brevity of man. Life is short. How many of you, you said recently, the older I get, the faster it goes. Man, we've, we've got kids now. Uh, Ruby and William, we picked up William uh, from the hospital. He was born October 3rd. We picked him up on October 11th from the Raleigh General Hospital in Beckley, West Virginia. And picked him up there. And uh, November 4th, his sister come to live with us. We went from zero to two. And uh, I don't recommend that. I didn't grow up around children. I was a child once, but I don't really remember a whole lot. I was, as a, when I was young, I was around uh, 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 dozers and backhoes and excavators and dump trucks and chainsaws and motorcycles. And I didn't grow up around diapers and wipes and ointments and cribs and pacifiers and whatever else comes along with all this. You know, you always had the idea the stork dropped those things off. Yea, the stork in heaven knoweth her appointed time, in Jeremiah chapter 8 it says. Uh, but uh, since we, those two children come to, into our life and we love them, and I wouldn't change it. I would not change it uh, by any means. And uh, we love them. But man, when they come into your home, and uh, life just goes to a, a new pace, a, a new level. I thought I was busy before, but now, and, and praise God, you're here tonight and you brought children and teens and all that. God bless you. And uh, you say, my children have done flew the coop. We'll find some other children to bring to church. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's investing in eternity. But life picks up speed. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's like you try to hold on to it, but it just keeps running away from you. Life is brief. In fact, Psalm 90 and verse number 12, the Bible says here, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto what? Wisdom. Our days are numbered. In fact, God built life into days. Verse number 9, the Bible says, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years that is a tale that is told. Verse number 10, the days of our years. Verse number 12, so teach us to number our days. Verse number 14, O satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Days. Uh, verse number 15. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Uh, so in Psalm 90, you see the frailty of man, you see the brevity of man, the brevity of life, but also in Psalm 90, you see the eternality of God. 
So you see the frailty, the brevity, and the eternality of God. And when we see in Psalm 90 the eternality of God, that God is eternal, and, and, and then you roll on into Psalm 91, we'll get back to Psalm 91 in, in just a moment, it ought to encourage our hearts. It ought to bring about some inspiration and desire to live the Christian life. Psalm 90, verse number 1, the Bible says, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever Thou hast formed the earth and the world. I love this. Even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. Over 2,000 times in the Word of God do you find uh, this this title to God, G-O-D here, uh, Elohim. And we're going to get to that word in, in just a moment. And, and if I forget to get to it, you remind me. Throw something at me. And I'm going to try to get to it. Uh, but uh, when you see this, that, that, that God is the author of our days, the eternality of God, He's immutable, unchangeable, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God of all the universe, of all the ages. He is the sovereign God. Uh, he never learns anything. He never, uh, never makes a mistake. He never in heaven goes, whoops. How many of you said whoops in the past week? Or said, whoop. You know? And God never says that. He is the eternal God of all ages. Verse number 2 teaches me that He is the self-existent God. God was when nothing else was. We find here in this passage in verse number 3, Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men. God continues to resolve, but man dissolves. If the Lord tarries His coming, we'll all have our last day here on earth. Our last breath here on earth. Uh, last week on Monday, we had a funeral for a fire chief in Meadow Bridge. His name was Barney Wade. As far as I know, he died without Christ. And at that uh, fireman's funeral at the graveside, I was told they were going to do this uh, fireman's last call. How many of you are familiar or have ever heard a fireman's last call? And uh, look it up on YouTube. And uh, I I, I played it one for my wife, and it brought tears to her eyes. I asked one of the men from my church that's part of the volunteer fire department, I said, uh, said, Jeff, would you be able to have the closing prayer uh, here? He said, no. He said, said, I'm going to do good to make it through this last call. And I had no idea what he was talking about. I should have looked it up. uh, But I, I wasn't really prepared for it. But all the firemen... They turned their, their radios wide open on volume. And there was, I don't know, 12 or 14 firefighters that were there and standing all, all around the casket and the family right there in the middle under the tent. And Barney Wade there in the casket. He's gone, but his body's there. And uh, here come the time for the last call. And they call out Barney Wade's code across the the scanner thing calling for him to respond he doesn't respond and it goes makes some noises and calls for his number does that two or three times and then it goes into a little overview of Barney Wade's uh, firefighter life and I thought man now's the time to preach 
There hadn't hardly been any emotion, any tears, any sniffling or anything like that. But I was hearing that last call and I was thinking, if the Lord tarries His coming, we're, I'm going to have my last call. But the God is God of heaven, He's the author of my days. He is the eternal God of the ages. He'll never dissolve. But this old body, this old flesh, if He tarries His coming, is going to dissolve. So when we draw from Psalm 90 that He's the eternal God of all the ages and that we're frail and our life is short and God continues on no matter what. When we call him to Psalm 91 in verse number 2, as the psalmist says, I will save the Lord. He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. If I use this terminology, we is going to go eat. You'd say, boy, he's from West Virginia. <laughs> he needs to work on his grammar a little bit, doesn't he? And I use the wrong verb tense and double negatives and I need to work at it and I need to read and, uh, and all that sort of stuff and I, I'm trying to work at it. But I don't use we is. <laughs> on the count of three, y'all just say that and relieve yourself for a moment. One, two, three. We uh, come on, say it, say, it, say it with some enthusiasm. One, two, three. We there you go. We, we is going to go to the buffet. We is going to go to California. We, we is. That's not proper grammar, right? We, we, we really can't say that. He said, where are you going with this preacher? It's going to get good here in a moment. Is that good English? We is. You're going to go to sleep tonight. You're going to lay down on your, on your bed. We We is. We, we is. We is going to leave here in a moment. I'm not going to preach for eternity. We is. Say it one more time. One, two, three. We is. We is. We can't say that. But God can. Because when we find this word Elohim, or my God, it's giving the plurality of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. And by the way, there's other denominations out there that act like they have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. My friend, they, they may have a monopoly on emotions inside of a building, but they don't have the monopoly on the Holy Spirit of God. And, uh, but God is three in one. I can't take you into a biology room, a biology lab, and, and, and a science lab, and dissect and, and try to show all of this stuff. And I know there's illustrations with chairs and ice cubes and eggs and all this type of thing. But I, I just want to turn to the Word of God and realize that God is three in one. Inseparable, immutable, unchangeable. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so the first time that we come across this name, for God in Scripture is found back in Genesis. The plurality of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God said, let us make man in our image. Not, with, uh, not being singular, not just by Himself, but let us. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, from eternity past to eternity future, something that our finite minds cannot grasp, not really get a hold of, but He is the Elohim, the God of 
power because God took of the dust of the ground and created his crown jewel of creation called mankind and by the way there is only one human race the government wants to dissect up this race that race this race and all this sort there's just nationalities God created one human race and you can read the book of Acts. You can read Acts 17 and, 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 and learn that and come to Genesis as well and see that God created one human race, but the government sure does like to complicate things. Divide. And the, you, you, in, in man's eye, you divide and conquer. But God wants to unify. God wants to bring together. The, this, this term, my God, is, is, a, is a word of power. And the first mention of it is in the creation of the earth. God spoke this world into existence. He made the fish and the land and the seas and the skies and the sun, the moon, the stars and all this stuff around here that we see and we place such an emphasis on where we say save the trees but kill the babies and all that type of thing. We, we live in this generation where we want to preserve the most guilty but kill the most innocent. And, uh, but God created this and you and I are the crown jewel of the creation. Did the devil show up when, when uh, God created the sun? Did God show up when He created the moon? When He created the rivers and the seas and the ocean? No. The devil showed up in the form of a serpent. By the way, the devil as a serpent goes about to deceive. As a lion, he goes about to devour. And he'll work those two wily ways in the lives of God's children. He doesn't just, he really doesn't want casualties, he wants converts. God is, 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 is fighting for your soul and the person of His Son, the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God, and the devil is fighting for your soul. And he is wanting converts. He is wanting followers just like God desires followers. But my God, this term of power, is seen all throughout Scripture. If Moses was the human penman of Psalm 91, think about his life for just a moment. He realized that God possessed all things. He come up to the Red Sea. God made it. God created it. As he faced the Red Sea, he's seen part of God's creation as he did an about face. What did he see? All maybe far off in the distance, maybe he saw Pharaoh and the elite army of Egypt chasing after him. But he saw that God was the possessor of his creation. Because what did God do? Part the Red Sea. He saw that God was the Almighty. Before He ever faced the Red Sea, God rained down these, these ten plagues on the people there in Egypt. And then He saw that, that God was a God of provision as they had that 40-year funeral march around in the wilderness. And, but God led them by a, a, a cloud by the day and a pillar of fire by night and rained down manna from heaven and water from a rock. He's a God of provision. Moses saw that he was a God of promise. God provided a land of promise. Moses didn't get to step foot in it, but as he, as when he died off and, and Joshua was the new leader and he led the children of Israel into Egypt, God is a God of promise. Moses got to see a number of God's promises, but he also got to see God's power. Now, what does this all mean for us today? You ready for the message? That was all introduction. <laughs> God's power. Beyond the Red Sea being split, beyond the ten plagues, 
beyond manna in the wilderness. God's power, the gospel. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. Galatians 4.4 Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven for this sin-cursed earth to live a perfect, sinless, spotless life for 33 and a half years here on this just awful place. To take our bruises, to take our beating, to take everything that we should have took. He took the undiluted wrath of a thrice holy, sin-hating God. He took that all upon Himself at the cross for you and I to go to a barred tomb. Why was it a barred tomb? Because He wasn't planning on staying there. And He got up the third and glorious day. And we need to have a renewed emphasis on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It got the, the disciples into trouble if you read the book of Acts because they were resurrection preachers. And there's power in the resurrected life here on earth. So many people have been reconciled. They've been saved. But they don't live the resurrected life. They, they, they just live a life in the grave, in the ground, in a, in a spiritual foxhole trying to hide away, relax and be raptured. They got their helmet of salvation, but they're running around, around here on earth captivated, captivated by the things of this world when we should be living in the resurrected life. Read Philippians chapter number 3. There's power in the gospel, not just for salvation, but for service. We live in uncertain times. We live in a changing world, but we have a never-changing God. Uh, we change. Our complexion changes. I've got more wrinkles now than I used to. I have less hair than I used to. I, I'm losing my hair. Uh, the other day, I, I'm, I'm gaining a little bit of weight here recently. And Sunday night, I told Joy, my wife, I said, I've, I put on a little bit of weight, and, I, and, and a button popped off my britches as I was walking down the hallway. I thought, oh, my. And so I got up, uh, what is today? Wednesday, Monday, I got up Monday morning and went off jogging. Hey, we change. Our bank accounts change. The government changes. Politics changes. Opinions change. Philosophies change. A country changes. Your car changes. The preachers change. The churches change. The seasons change. But God never changes. He is the God of power and provision. He possesses all things. He's a God of peace. He's a God of protection. And there's power in the gospel, not just for salvation, but for service. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right. See, our, our life centers around the Lord Jesus Christ. From the moment that we're saved to the moment we see the Lord Jesus Christ, He is a God of peace. He is a God of protection. He is a God of power. He is a God of provision and, and possession and all that type of thing. And we can read that but do we really digest that truth into our life? You see, the Psalms, they, now I wouldn't say every Psalm is Messianic, but many of them are Messianic. Many of them point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have all that the Father is. And God wants to empower us to live the Christian life. And if we'll just simply take these four titles for our God and make daily application by these four verses... And remind ourselves, it's not my name. It's not my blood. It's not my life. It's not my righteousness that saved me. But it was His life. The Lord Jesus. It was His righteousness. It was His blood. It was His name that saved me. Not only saved me, 
But He wants to be that peace. He wants to be that protection. He wants to be everything in our life if we will allow Him. The more you get to know Him, the more you get to love Him. The more you get to love Him, the more you trust Him. We've, we've got, uh, how many of you here tonight, you've been married 30 plus years? Wow. I've got a lady in my church. Her husband went to be with the Lord back in January. They were three weeks short of celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary. Mr. Frank Carr was a deacon there at the church, just a pillar in the, in the church there at Meadowbridge. But married 59 years. I just want to, I want to say 60, but they were three weeks short. But you imagine that? 60, anybody in here been married 60 years? And some of you, uh, no doubt, probably your, your, your husband or wife has already went home to glory. But over those years, you've faced some battles, faced some difficulties, faced some things that you didn't just didn't know how you were going to get through. But you loved one another, you prayed, you worked through it, you communicated, you talked, you learned to have a deeper trust, a deeper love, a deeper commitment, more courage to face the next day. Don't forget about this relationship. Sometimes we'll give more maintenance to our relationships this way than we do this way. But if we don't keep this relationship with our Heavenly Father, if we don't keep it right, how can we have the right relationship with our husband, our wife, our children, our grandchildren, or our brothers and sisters in Christ? Because if we really let the God of Psalm 91 get a hold of us, it's going to spread like a wildfire. It's going to inspire someone else to say, man, they went through that, but they went through it victorious. How'd they do that? Well, the God of Psalm 91. He's not a far distant, dislocated God. He is a God who wants to be near and close and shelter you under His wings. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd help us here this evening to be faithful as we respond to your word here tonight. Lord, help us not to fall out of tune with heaven. But Lord, help us to be in tune with thee. Lord, may we take Your Word as Your very breath, as if You were speaking to us in this room, and make application. Father, I pray that You bless Pastor Ratliff as he extends this invitation and continues to lead this church by the Word of God. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. And amen. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.